Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lisa H., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, January 30th, 2018, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today, we're reading from the big book. We're on page 21, beginning with the second paragraph that says, Here is the fellow who has been, reading through two paragraphs, ending in should identify him roughly, and we'll have comments on both paragraphs. Today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Esther F., the 12 Traditions, Mary G., the readers of the text, Penny C., Rita K., and Amy W. Our newcomer greeter is Russ M., and Jody E.Q. will be the host for our second hour. The share IDs for yesterday, Monday, January 29th, For the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, it's 10,978, again, 10,978, and for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 10,979, that's 10,979. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Esther F. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
and 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther F. And I'll now ask Mary G. to please read the 12 traditions. Thank you. This is Mary G. in upstate New York, recovering compulsive overeater, the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And thanks for the opportunity to do service today. Thank you, Mary G. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your share be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 21 on the second paragraph, beginning, here is the fellow who has been, reading through two paragraphs onto page 22, ending uh, should roughly. And I'll ask Penny C. to please read and get us started. Good morning. This is Penny C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in the Boston area. Thank you. Here is the fellow who has been puzzling you, especially in the lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. 
He's a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He is seldom mildly intoxicated. He's always more or less insanely drunk. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world, yet let him drink for a day, and he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. He has a positive genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment, particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement kept. He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor. But is is that respect he is but in that respect he is incredibly dishonest and selfish. He often possesses special abilities, skills and aptitudes and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself and then pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless series of sprees. He's the fellow who goes to bed as intoxicated he ought to keep sleep the so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around. Yet early the next morning he He searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. If he can afford it, he may have liquor concealed all over his home to be certain no one gets his entire supply away from him to throw down the water pipe. As matters grow worse, he he begins to use a combination of high-powered sedative and liquor to quiet his... Excuse me. to quiet his nerves so he can go to work. Then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and gets drunk all over again. Perhaps he goes to a doctor who gives him morphine or some sedative with which to taper off. Then he begins to appear at hospitals and sanitariums. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic as our behavior pattern vary, but this description should identify him roughly. Oh my goodness. Love, this is Penny C again. Oh, this is this is such a description. It's a it's almost scary. The description of what I was like when I was binging incessantly and continuously. Um you know this Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde the comes from the um the novel by Robert Louis Stevenson, and the real title of that is The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And certainly, you know, I was a strange case because I could be I could be the nicest, nicest. We lost you, Penny C. Penny C. Okay, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can. We can hear you now. Go ahead. Okay, and so um, in in the novel, you know, Doctor Jekyll is is the sane person, and he decides to try this potion that he invents. And once he takes it, his dark side comes out, and he and he literally begins to act like an animal. Well, I I can almost say that was what I was like until I got to OA. 
and began to work those steps. The steps really are transforming. You know, they transform this this raging, raging compulsive overeater into somebody who could be loving and compassionate and uh, and could, you know, relate to people. And mainly because I found through this program, I found a higher power. And it's a higher power who restored me to sanity. Not myself, not, not any work I did on my own, but that higher power I call God who took me and 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 literally we say transformed it's so true um the food the food and the binging made me into something i don't ever ever wish to go back to and with god's help and continuing to study the big book and working the steps i don't ever ever have to go back there and with that i'll pass thank you thank you penny c and now um i'll open the lines to those who'd like to share on what Penny read? Jackie B. Not Larry K. Rita K. Jackie G. Sandy S. Okay, let me tell you what I have, and you may have to remind me um, of your first initial of your last name. I have Jackie B., Larry K., Matt M., Kathy G., and Rita. I didn't get your first initial of your last name. Okay, perfect. Okay, let's go with that. Jackie B., you're up, followed by Larry Kay. Hi, I'm Jackie B. from the Bronx. Can I be heard? You can. Okay, thank you, everyone, for your service and for this wonderful, wonderful chapter. Um, You know, it all sums it up. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic, as our behavior patterns vary. But This description should identify him roughly. Well, that's definitely me. Uh, In 25 years or so, um, I have become in this program more and more aware of who Jackie B is or was. Um, And I'm amazed. I'm amazed today that no matter how um, life takes me through rough roads, happy roads, um, people, places, and things, I am able to get through it because I work this program, because I work the steps the way they are written here in the big book, um, and that I'm willing to say that, you know what, I don't have the answers, that I don't know better, that I can control everything, that if I hold my breath long enough, and if I eat enough tootsie rolls in this lifetime, I can control the rest of the world. I can't. What I can do is be open, honest, and willing to tell you that I need to be more. I need to work the program. I need to see my side of the street. When I look at my side of the street or my expectations of others, that's how I get clarity to say, God, you know what, I'm just another sick and suffering person, but help guide me. Help me be the best person I can be today. Help me be of service. Help me tell another compulsive overeater that there is a solution if they want to do it. And I want to do this every day. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie B. And Larry Kay, you're, you're up, followed by Matt M. 
Good morning. Good morning, Larry Kay, uh, recovered compulsory reader from Chicago. The, uh, so I'm going to zero in on um, on a particular uh, part that we read. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. Yeah, that that was true enough for me. Um, you know, deep inside my soul, I was a, a frightened little little man, little boy who couldn't shake the shame of his imperfections. And see, we're raised to be frightened to be wrong. Some of us are, and we pursue our lives that way. And in fact, we stigmatize our mistakes. In other words, you know, for me, rather than learning from my mistakes, I hid from them in disgrace, my own mistakes. And for me, one of the fundamental things this program of action is about is the vulnerability that occurs through the removal of shame. And when we become truly willing to take the actions that will unmask us before God, before our fellows, you know, the power begins to flow in. That's what I saw. I was reborn. And, and you know what happened? The shame began to, to, to minimize. It began to be removed. And when the shame's removed, I'm not sure why, but the need for food, in my case, was lifted as the power greater than ourselves began to flow into me. You know, the question I have to ask myself is, do I have the courage to be imperfect? See, I, I was not going to find a profound connection to God unless I could pursue these steps with the courage to be imperfect. And only then would I experience change. And it's through the authenticity of this imperfection revealed, you know, with my daily walk with my higher power, imperfectly revealed through the work where the connection with God and others becomes real. And I'm no longer dominated by a shame consciousness. And I began to feel more comfortable in my own skin but the program required me to be vulnerable through action. And it was through the uncomfortability of being vulnerable that resulted in a shift from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence. Then I could be of maximum service to God and those about us. There was two lines, you know, line up, line number one, tethered to the disease, line number two, tethered to God. Which one was I to choose? Each day I have to choose. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Matt M., you're up, followed by Kathy G. Thank you, thank you, Lisa. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M., compulsive overeater. Uh, let's see. He's often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor, but in that respect, he's incredibly dishonest and selfish. Man, when it comes to food, I do all kinds of horrible things, man. I will lie and cheat you. I will manipulate you. I will sweet-talk you into getting what I want. And as soon as I get what I want, I will, like, drop you like a bad habit or ignore you or not call you back. And because once I get that fixed, I'm like I'm, I'm, I'm like a total drug addict. I want that fixed. I want that hit. I want that bump just to feel better. And uh, I that's why I always wind up running out of money in the beginning of the month. That's why I always wind up going out to eat with my friends because oh, it's easy to do. And a lot of the times they want to pay for me because it's easy. It's so, it's so easy. And I have friends who enable me, but they don't even know they're doing it. And uh, I go to a program every day where they have to eat and I try to stay away from them. I do, but it's difficult at times because the lunches are so good. But I'm looking at this and I'm telling myself, wow, this is, this is, not, an easy, this is not an easy uh, subject to face for me because my whole life has been about food. It's been, the food has been a constant in my life, and to give it up means that I'm giving up a part of myself. That's what I feel like, and it's not easy. I do it uh, every day, one meal at a time. And I wish I had the 
the sensibilities that I used to have, you know, I, I, the self-sabotage used to, it could be so strong in me at times that uh, I get in, I get into the self-pity and the self, the self-degradation and all the other stuff that comes with it. But uh, I know now the food isn't worth it. My life is worth it. And uh, uh, Swiss rolls are not going to make me feel any better, cats either. And I realized that now, and I don't have to go back to what I was doing, you know, up to 660 pounds and uh, barely getting around, winding up in the hospital, back and forth with health issues. And uh, I don't want to go back there. I'm still at a heavy weight, but I'm working on myself to get better. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt M. And Kathy G., you're up, followed by Rita K. Kathy G, press star one. We can't hear you. Oh, so sorry about that. Uh, this okay. is Kathy G. Thank you so much for your service today, and good morning, everyone. It's Kathy G from Illinois, grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater, and uh, grateful to be able to share this morning. Wow. I could I could really get into the ugly cry over over this whole section here that starts with incredibly dishonest and selfish. Um, I'm on my eighth step right now, and I've never been abstinent this long in my adult life. And I've worked the steps in other programs over many many years, but never the way that I am now. Just slow, steady, and thorough. And Wow, I'm getting to roots and I'm seeing the depth of my dishonesty and selfishness around the food, you know, that I could often appear normal in other respects. Um, But with that food, the dishonesty, I think about it now, and it's just the money that was spent, the hiding, the looking one way to the outside world. But, you know, in my car with that food on my seat, surrounded by wrappers, Uh, going back to garbage cans, um, just all of it, the dishonesty of it and the selfishness of it was that I was not fully present to the people that I loved the most. And that's just so incredibly sad to me now. But I'm just really grateful that I don't have to do that today. Uh, As long as I continue to work the steps and talking to you instead of picking up that first compulsive bite, which will lead me to the rest. And I also um, just really related to this part about, you know, sleeping around the clock and uh, the next morning having to wake up yet again and get into it. And I haven't woken up with that feeling now for a while. And it's, it's so incredibly freeing. And it is so much better on this side, as painful as it is getting through the work sometimes, that there's absolutely no comparison. I put a little necklace um, on my 15-year-old daughter last night. I found, I knew that she had broken one of her necklaces, and I found this little necklace for her. And just the excitement in her eyes to put it on, it was a mother-daughter necklace about our bond, and we've always been close, but we're even closer now she said to me recently about my recovery, she goes, Mom, she goes, you know, you were a great mom before. She said, but now you're, I don't know, she said something like you're like super bionic mom or something because she sees the difference in my presence and in my ability to think about her first. And she goes, and you're not as tired as night. 
And there's just so many blessings. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be here today. Thanks so much for listening and thanks for being here. Have a great day. I pass. Thank you, Kathy G. And Rita Kay, you're up. Hi, this is Rita Kay, Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Kansas. You know, this this uh, this whole section uh, really is a picture of what step one is talking about. Uh, we admitted we were powerless over food and our lives had become unmanageable because this is a picture of powerlessness. You know, I'm not an artist, but this could be, you know, kind of the a blueprint for an artist to draw, you know, what powerlessness is like. And I really appreciated the way um, uh, the way Penny C, uh, you know, talked about and described Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and, and the whole the purpose of that story. And you know, because that is exactly that that describes what what my life, you know, was like, you know, prior to recovery, and so many times in and out of relapse, that choice to take my power back or. To, uh, or to really act under under the illusion that I was taking my power back, that decision that I am, that I've got power over this drive-through or that I have power over this food or power over this whatever, whatever the foods are that are on my red like this, that is what happens. And so that's why this paragraph to me just sticks out as the perfect picture of powerlessness and what our lives are like when we are into our disease. And, you know, I mean, everything was out of control, totally unmanageable. And uh, the, the part that says that he was seldom mildly intoxicated, I mean, that's, that, that was something that probably would have been, would be insulting to to an alcoholic of this nature, you know, to be mildly intoxicated because they're looking for that big one. And that's what I was doing, running from drive-through to drive-through to put together the perfect combination of what I thought was a good meal, you know, and that's, and that's not power. That is powerlessness. So that's something that I have to remember that when my life is in this state, that when I am behaving in a powerless manner, that my life is unmanageable. And that's why, you know, for me, I've got to remember that it starts with step one for all of us. It starts with step one and goes through all of the steps. But powerlessness and forgetting that I am powerless is the start of relapse for me. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Rita Kay. And before I take another list of names, I just want to remind everyone where we are. We're on page 21, and we're reading beginning at the second full paragraph, Here is the Fellow, reading through two full paragraphs ending, Should Identify Him Roughly. So who else would like to share? Jamie yeah. M. Melissa, Melissa C. Okay, I I it was really garbled at the beginning. I think I heard Jane. Did I hear Kim? Tina M. Leah M. Tina S. Sima M. I got Sima. So I I think that I have Jan, Kim, Sima, um, Melissa C. I think I heard Raquel, Tina, and Leah M. So you'll tell me. I, I think we have, I think this may, well, we're going to stop with this list and we'll see if we have enough time. Um, if you'll tell me your, the first initial of your last name, um, Janice, I think you're first. 
Well, thank you so much, <laughs> Janice PM. Um, I'm a recovered grateful compulsive overeater. We just got finished uh, prior reading what the moderate drinker is, what the moderate compulsive overeater, what is the hard, the hard compulsive overeater. Maybe we eat too much, you know, diet, and you'll be okay. But this real alcoholic, real alcoholic, okay, um, we lose all control when we're under the auspices when we're under the power of the disease we can't make any choices we really can't we're a doctor Jekyll and Mr. Hyde Um, that's how it is when I'm not under the power of the disease in recovery I think so much differently and I do have some control through the power that I received Okay, we're so different. And, you know, on page 44, it, 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 you know, we can self-diagnose ourselves. If, if you know, um, we can neither control the amount that I eat, you know, um, nor have I got the power to, to manage a decision not to drink, not to eat. And that's that's what the whole thing is all about. And, and you know, like the previous speaker, powerlessness. I don't have that power. I don't have the ability once, this is what the doctor's talking about, once the craving has begun. That's the powerlessness. I'm fine if I don't have it in my system. So the word craving is very important here. This is what this is what they're describing also is that phenomenon of craving. Uh, my husband doesn't hide food. Or has never had food. See, that's 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 abnormal. That's addiction. We have a fear. Oh, we're not going to have enough. I'll save it for you know in case I have company or you know Halloween candy. I got to hide it because everybody will eat it. Yeah, everybody, me, I'll eat it. So normal people don't have to hide because of fear. They just if they don't want it, they don't want it. If they want it, they put it down. So this is what we're describing, the real alcoholic, the real compulsive overeater. Um, and, it's, and it's about our inability. Once we put that substance in, okay, and then, of course, we have the obsession, and when that's removed, then we don't even need it. We don't need it anymore. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. And I think I heard Kim G. Am I right about that? Good morning. My name. Hi, I'm sorry. Trying to unmute there. Good morning. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And uh, this paragraph to me is just such. It's just such a beautiful and tra- tragic description of the alcoholic torture. It explains in human terms what does it mean to suffer from the allergy of the body and the mental twist of the mind. To me, it brings a lo- to life the doctor's opinion paragraph on page um, XXIX where it talks about after they have succumbed to the desire again. So that desire is that mental twist, that that restlessness, that irritability, that discontentment, that inability to get comfortable sober. So what do I do? I succumb. I yield to a superior force, which is the food. And then I pass through the well-known stages of a spree. (sighs) Emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. I swear to God, I swear to God, it's not going to happen again. I might as well finish that bag of that box. Because tomorrow will be different. And this cycle is going to be repeated over and over and over unless this person experiences an entire psychic change. 
you know, I was thinking this analogy as we're coming into February, and I don't, most of America, including compulsive readers, have joined the gym, and that gym is starting to wear off. And this is my logic attending over here as anonymous, and I'm going to use it as going to a gym. So I join a gym. I pay the monthly fee. I actually go to the gym like five days a week. But what I do is I read a magazine in the waiting area, and I watch other people work out. And I think to myself, why aren't I getting in shape? Because belonging to the gym and actually going to the gym doesn't create the effect I want of getting in shape. I love how in our format it says there is a solution, which is abstinence and the 12 steps. So that's, what, that's what's going to get me the effect I want, which is I have to put the food down, and I want to have a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. So I often hear and I often said, well, I'm working my program. Well, what does that mean? If you're not putting the food down and working the 12 steps, what program are you working? Are you just visiting the gym? Are you attending meetings? Are you making phone calls? But you're not taking the actions necessary in order to recover? You know, I know for myself for many years what my program was, was willpower and keeping on guard. And by the end of January, my New Year's resolutions were always wearing off. And I'm going to end with page 101, which tells me what happens when I, don't use, when I don't put the food down and when I don't use these 12 steps. It says here, in any belief of combating alcoholism, which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation, is doomed to failure. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed. So now you've joined the gym, you're attending an Overeaters Anonymous meeting. Why don't you get on some of the equipment and start working out? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And Sema, you're up, followed by Melissa C. Sema, press star one, we can't hear you. Hi, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. Go ahead. Okay, good morning. Thank you for your service. It's nice to be up early and on the line. Uh, You know, when the paragraph was first read, I was like, well, I don't have anything to share on this paragraph because I never did anything so crazy. And as I let it sink in, I remembered all these things that I did do with food. Um, uh, Like get up in the night and take a taxi to a crazy pizza place that I had to have a slice of pizza and then take the taxi and go to a diner and sit at the counter eating spaghetti and then ending up meeting an alcoholic and uh, having a date with him. And uh, weird things. Uh, One time I left off my office in the middle of the day and disappeared because I had to go out and eat. And luckily I had a good reputation there, so nothing came of it. But... um, So I was like, well, I guess I did do some of these crazy things like these crazy alcoholics did. But thank God today with this program, uh, I don't have to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do crazy things. I have a way to live according to these steps that gives me sanity and the ability to stay in the moment and to actually enjoy my life rather than trying to escape it by doing crazy things with food. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sema. And Melissa C., you're um, you're up, followed by Raquel. 
Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, you know, so this paragraph or these paragraphs is further um, allowing me to identify, is this who I am? You know, because um, moderate eaters and heavy eaters, they don't destroy (laughs) their beautiful structures. You know, they don't pull, they don't like work really hard on something and it's going to come out well for them and then they destroy it all by turning to the food. You know, they might eat when they're upset. You know, I've done that too. Um, And, you know, moderate and heavy eaters don't, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, they're not binging anymore. They're done. They're stuffed. They're full. And so um, this really helps me identify in because um, I think about, you know, not just that I ate yeah, when things were rough going for me, because yeah, food is a drug, and everybody's oh, you could be an emotional eater, but I've eaten when everything was going great for me, and um, you know, it, for me, it like calls to mind um, what I did on my honeymoon. You know, I I took something, I I took something small, thinking I was normal. You know, I had arrived, and then I let that allergy you know, run free, and so that by the end, I wasn't enjoying my time with my husband, and nothing fit me, and I came home, and rather than be the moderate and heavy eater who could get right back on, it was years and years and years, I still couldn't get on, you know, and and then I come to repeat that same behavior again on a beautiful family vacation where I had been you know, abstinent before, and I had lost some weight, and I was feeling great, and we were having a great time. There was truly, I was not eating um, to escape anything. Everything was wonderful, but I took something, and so that by the end of that trip, um, there was no more pleasure derived from being with my family. It was, I was that monster again, um, only living for the food, and, you know, so yeah, I've gone to bed stuffed beyond belief, crying, I'll never do this again, and waking up and, and, you know, turning to the food that's in my night table. I think this is an important part because it really, it helps us to identify. Um, Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Raquel, you're up, followed by Tina S. Hello. Can you hear me? I can. Go ahead. Uh, hi, hello to all my family there. What a what a piece we read today. Uh, I can't not identify, and the identifying is very painful. And I'm very grateful that I'm not there anymore. But this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde reminds me so much of my wanderings uh, in the United States for 26 years, from community to community. Uh, from school to school, and the the and and having kids in between uh, four kids, I, I came with two to America, and then two were born there. But trying the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde for me was to, doing so much to keep my professional life going uh, perfectly and the house going perfectly, but reaching out for power that wasn't mine in the food, like if I ate then I, I would be able to do more and I'd have strength more and it, it acted exactly the opposite. So it, it was very 
you know, very sad that I I would like fall asleep on the couch with a dish towel on my shoulder and and all but put a sign on myself, God, do you think you can manage without me for a half an hour? I'm just taking a nap and then falling asleep with my clothes for the rest of the night, waking up somewhere in the middle to eat some more. It was very painful. And as a matter of fact, when I made my amends to to my ex-husband, owning to the part that was mine, I was able to thank him for all the things he did instead of me to be able to keep things going in the home. It's like what we say, you know, like if he doesn't know whom he's going to meet in the evening uh, when we parted in the morning beautifully and I went into a day's work, came to the point where one of my, my oldest kids, when I'd come home from work, would say, oh, now you come. You gave all the best already at school. So what, what is left for us? St. Paul, Minnesota, in big, heavy snow, walking to school. was hard. And the hardest part was that I, I didn't know. I, I thought that if I can use everything that I find in food to give me strength, everything will work. And it was exactly the opposite. So to become one with myself now through recovery, and just know what I can do and what I can't and stop when I need to stop is tremendous. And I, I'm very grateful that we are together here online. Thank you for letting me share and thanks for the service and good recovery to everybody. And I pass. Thank you, Raquel. And Tina S., you're up, followed by Leah M. Thanks so much, Lisa. Tina S. Recovered Compulsive Eater Anorexic in Florida. Wow, what a fabulous meeting. And, you know, the good news for me is that we get we continue to do this one day at a time and read the first 164 pages over and over so that I can continue to be reminded. And I love all the shares. You know, this is so much about the powerlessness and unmanageability of my disease and how I forget in an instant. You know, so I'm truly have to be reminded and and the example for me is is so true and so relevant that i'm a person of extremes dr jekyll and mr hyde you know and i could be either or at any time if i'm in in my disease and uh, and i loved it and it was also shared that you know that we seldom get mildly intoxicated who wants mildly you know i want insanely drunk you know and that's just who i am i you know and and the good news today is that's not who i have to be you know in in the relationship with a power greater than myself and the transformation of the 12 steps i become somebody different i become somebody different and i almost like that person today you know what most days i do you know and and it's because that i don't do those same things anymore you know i've had a, a spiritual awakening that changes my attitudes my behaviors and my actions you know i do stuff differently so that i get different things today but i have to remember that i can so be this person i can so be this person and um and it's just been a fabulous meeting and, and with that i'll pass thanks thank you tina and leah ann you're up Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and gets drunk all over again. Bingo! (laughs) I simply couldn't make it. I simply couldn't make it. I mean, the reality is that I had a living problem. 
you know, the reality is that I had a living problem. However, uh, you know, I was staring at a food plan thinking that that was going to be sufficient to overcome a disease of compulsive overeating. You know, the my my perception was that food and binging was the glue that was holding me together. And yet, you know, this progression, this vicious cycle that I lived in um, for two decades um, was exhausting. It wore me out, and it wore those who uh, loved me out. It was, uh, you know, a merry-go-round. And despite the wish, and despite the necessity, and despite the consequences that were going on, whether they were medical, whether they were deterioration of all of my life, you know, (laughs) this disease touched every facet of my life, socially, emotionally, physically. I mean, there was deterioration on all fronts. Despite my knowledge of my illness eventually, none of those were enough to overcome this disease because I have a disease that demands treatment and that treatment will either be food or the 12 steps. There was no door number three. No door number three, because my, my life was that when I ate binge foods, I lost control. But when I didn't eat binge foods, I also lost control. You know, the big book says that recovery for me, for a real compulsive overeater, is going to require a transformation of thought and attitude. And that far, you know, supersedes a physical solution. I have a spiritual malady that needs a spiritual solution because the same person was going to eat again. Because the unmanageability that I lived was internal. It had no, it it didn't matter what was going on externally. It was an internal, you know, unmanageability. And I ended up being everything I never wanted to be. However, when I was crushed by this illness, the 12 steps turned me inside out from a me, myself, and I type of person, a life-taking habit of self-obsession to a life-giving desire for service to others because we're changed in the way we think, in the way we feel, and especially in the way we behave. And so I had to get that point that it was me, the problem was me, and the answer was going to be God who could restore me to sanity. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And it looks like we have time for three more shares. Joe M. Um, I thought I heard Sarah. you, Joe. Okay. Sarah? Sarah, yes. Gotcha. One more. Jan S. Jan S. Okay, so we're on page 21, second full paragraph, beginning here is the fellow, reading through two full paragraphs, and Joanne, you're up first, followed by Sarah W. Thank you for your service, and good morning to everyone on the line. My name is Joe M. I'm a compulsive overeater from Minnesota. If he can afford it, he may have liquor concealed all over his house to be certain no one gets his entire supply away from him to throw down the waste pipe. As matters grow worse, he begins to use a combination of high-powered sedative and liquor to quiet his nerves so he can go to work. This is survival. This is what it means to be an addict. We have to have the addiction or we won't survive. That's what we think. That's what I thought. That's what I believed. My whole system pursued the food as if I had to have that food in order to survive. I'm talking about physical, mental, emotional survival. If I did not get 
my binge foods, when I wanted them, in the amount that I wanted, I felt like I was going to die. And I did everything I could to protect my supply, to pursue my supply. And matters did grow worse. They only grew worse over time. I've been a compulsive overeater from a very early age. It started setting in probably at around the age of eight, and it progressed, and it took hold, I think, for sure by the time I was an adolescent. Well, I'm in my mid-50s now, so it's been with me almost my whole life. And one of the biggest shifts internally that I have ever made is believing that I had this problem with food over on the side, that if I just got a handle on it, if I just could muster some willpower, then I would be okay. Going from that to, oh my God, I have a condition that is permanent and chronic and progressive, and I'm not going to get rid of it, and it's not over on the side. It's inside me, a permanent, chronic, progressive condition that is inside of me. And this is the nature of admitting powerlessness, in my view, is that we have to make that internal shift, and it's a shift in identity. And I know today, and I accept today, that if I were to ever return to the food, matters will continually grow worse, even worse than what I had before when it was the very worst in my food. So today, I accept the condition that I am dealing with. It shows me no mercy. And for that reason, I do have a measure of respect for it because it is unyielding, it is brutal, and it will take me down a rat hole, and I believe it will kill me internally, and then it will kill me physically. This is very serious, and I'm very grateful for the big book for telling me the truth about my condition. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Joe M. And Sarah W., you're up, followed by Jan S. Good morning, Vision for You. Uh, this is Sarah W., grateful, recovered compulsive overeater from Iowa. Thank you for your service, Lisa. Thank you for reading, Penny, and thank you for everyone that does service on this meeting. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, it, it's a very powerful uh, statement about what we do and how we are in the, the pit of total insanity and pain. And I want to come from the other side of this as far as being the person that can be of service to these people that are in so much pain that no matter what, I do no harm, that I need to reach out to people that are going through either relapse or just coming in struggling. And I want to give this analogy. I'm a breast cancer survivor. And during the time that I had my uh, treatments and that I went through my partial mastectomy, if people had not been there for me, um, you know, whether it be doctors, nurses, my husband, people that really loved me and cared about me, I don't know if I could have gotten through it. On the other side of it, if I go into remission and everybody's like, okay, she's doing great, everybody's my buddy, and then my disease comes back and everybody avoids me like I'm a leper, like I have the plague. What are we doing? So I ask you all to look at yourself and ask yourself as I do myself, how can I be of service to people that are suffering? And how can I not lay my judgment on them as to why they are doing what they're doing and not be intolerant? Love and tolerance is our code. 
And with that, I pass. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. Have a good day. Thank you, Sarah W. And Jan S., you're up. Hey, good morning. This is Jan S. calling from St. Augustine, Florida. Thank you all for your service, and thank you everyone on the line here. Um, gosh, this this paragraphs really hammer it home for me. I was the the true Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, um, using my Dr. Jekyll to control and manipulate. And if that didn't work, boy, you got Dr. Hyde. And, you know, I just remember just annihilating people with, you know, how I spoke with them and treated them. And, you know, most of that was because of my own pain and addiction and insanity. And gosh, um, by the grace of God and this 12-step recovery program, I don't have to live like that anymore. I am free of that. And that is the biggest blessing I could ever have even imagined. And when I came in, it was beyond anything I really wanted. I just wanted to, you know, get skinny. <laughs> so the blessings is in that psychic change, in that spiritual awakening, in the steps, working the program, helping others, bearing witness to other people grow and understand their, their, the capacity of which their disease can take them and seeing their eyes when they finally get it and they understand it. And it's not just words. It's not just something they're throwing around their head, but it, it hits their hearts. That to me is one of the best parts of working this program. Uh, for today, nothing tastes as good as being free, and there's no option for me to go back. You know, uh, it's not negotiable today, and that's one of the blessings of my recovery. It doesn't call to me anymore, and I'm able to give away what's been so generously given to me. And by the grace of God, remembering who Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was in my life is an important component from keeping me uh, one day at one day at a time, depending on God and the twelve steps. Thank you for this ability to share, and I pass. Thank you, Jan S. And thank you, everyone who has shared this morning. Um, thank you, Team Tuesday. The share ID for today, Tuesday, January thirtieth, the seven a.m. Eastern Time meeting is ten thousand nine eighty two. That's 10982. We'll now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. We'll read a K. Please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if, you, if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot, you cannot transmit something that you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. <clears throat> this is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. 
Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.